Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 6. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Classic Edition. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. We're going to begin a new series today. And how many of you were here last night? If you weren't, you missed it. Pastor David Winston, let it rip. And so I encourage you to listen to the podcast, get that CD as well, because those are messages that we all need to hear. I'm glad because he, he stayed over an extra day, because in many of the things he does at the church, he's executive director of Bill Winston Ministries. He does many different pastoral functions there, serving under his dad, Dr. Bill Winston, but he's also a youth pastor. And so I asked him to stay over a day so he can pour into our teenagers. So right now, your teenagers are receiving his ministry right now and being blessed, and they're never going to be the same. Amen? So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Amplified Classic Edition says, Yet for us, there is only one God, the Father who is the source of all things, and for whom we have life, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through and by whom are all things, and through and by whom we ourselves exist. We're beginning a series called Source today. And today's subtitle is, God is my source. Say it with me. God is my source. One more time. God is my source. Now, a source is only as good as its supply. A source is only as good as its supply. So let's say your device is running low on power. He's like, well, I'm going to plug it into the wall. But it's like, oh, there's no plug nearby, but I have this backup battery charger. But that backup charger can only charge as much power as it has. Because after a while, there's no more power because its supply is limited. Now, if you plug it into the wall, as long as you pay your bills, that's a key factor in that equation. The supply is unlimited. So a source is only as good as its supply. So let's go to Genesis 14 and look at the supply of God. As you turn there, say it one more time, God is my source. So I'm just going to lay the groundwork today. Not too sure how far I'll go. But Genesis 14, verse 18. To give you context as you turn there, Abram has just won a great battle. It never said Abram was a warrior. But he just won a battle against the strongest kings that existed at that time. They came and invaded Sodom and Gomorrah and surrounding cities, and they took his nephew captive. So Abram gets all, those, all of his employees, all those who work in his house, 318 men, and they go to battle. As to say, they were trained, but they had the blessing on them. And so they began their attack at night. And remember, this is back in a time when you don't have night goggles. Who trained them for night warfare? The blessing. They go in, those 318 men, and they rescue other kings and nations and get Lot and his family and all his stuff back. So he comes back from the battle. And the Bible calls it a slaughter, which means it wasn't even close. 318 people took down multiple kingdoms. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, which are covenant elements. And he was the priest of the Most High God. 
And he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him tithes of all. So his tithing process was after a victory. He had something to celebrate, and that's how he presented his tithes. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons to take the goods to yourself. What's going on here? Abram is doing the spiritual act of tithing. The priest of God is right there. The man of God is right here. They're tithing, and the fleshly king of Sodom says, Look, the spiritual is nice at all. Thank you for saving my life. That's all good. But here's what I want you to do. You give me all the people, and you take the money for yourself. He's wheeling and dealing, and he's in no place to negotiate. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even a shoe latch. I'm not taking a shoestring from you. And I will not take anything that is yours, lest you will say, I have made Abram rich. So apparently, Abram and God had a conversation before the battle. So Abram already knew how the battle was going to turn out. And he told God, I'm not taking anything from that wicked man, because he's going to say that I made Abram rich. So what is Abram saying? You're not going to get the credit for making me rich. I am going to be rich, but you're not going to get the credit. God is going to get the credit because God is mine. He says, the only thing I'm taking is what the young men have eaten and the portion that belongs to those who went with me, and he lists their names. So chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Don't be afraid. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, that sounds great, but it sounds even better when you realize what that phrase, exceeding great reward, means. It means, I am your rapidly increasing money supply. Rapidly increasing money supply. Abram, don't be afraid that you didn't take anything from that battle. I am your source. Go to chapter 17. Over the next few chapters, it covers a number of years. Some days Abram walks by faith. Some days he doesn't. Starts his own Ishmael project. He's like, I'm going to try to help God out. I'm going to do things my way. After he saw that didn't work out, 13 years go by. And he gets to chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90-year-old and 9, he's 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. What does that translate to mean? I am God all-sufficient. It comes from the Hebrew, which means to shed or to pour out. So it can be said, I am the God who pours out blessings, who gives them richly, abundantly, and continually. I am that God who pours out blessings, who gives them richly, abundantly, and continually. John Wesley in his commentary said, I am God all-sufficient. He said, the God with whom we have to do is self-sufficient. He has everything, and he needs not anything. He is enough to us. If we be in covenant with him, we have all in him. We have enough in him, enough to satisfy our most enlarged desires, enough to supply the defect of everything else, and to secure us happiness for our immortal souls. It's also saying that he has the power to do all good. When you look at John 15, 7, which we looked at in last month's series, it says, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That Hagen said in one of his messages, when he was studying after a Greek writer, it says, shall was the strongest word available to use in the English language. But the scholar says that Greek implies, if I don't have it, I'll make it for you. So you say, God and his supply is unlimited. But if there's something you need, that somehow is not in God's supply, he says, I'll make it for you. Why? He's El Shaddai. He is the almighty God. 
All sufficient means sufficient to everything or infinitely able. This name depicts God literally as who is sufficient in granting mercies and who has sufficient power to give whatever is necessary. This title, Shaddai, really indicates the fullness and riches of God's grace and would remind the Hebrew reader that from God comes every good and perfect gift, that he is never weary of pouring forth his mercies on his people, and that he is more ready to give than they are to receive. Bountiful expresses the sense most exactly. El sets forth the might of God, and the title Shaddai points to the inexhaustible stores of his bounty. This name in the Hebrew also points to the imagery of a nursing mother. As long as the baby makes a demand, there will be a supply of milk. As long as the believer makes a demand on their source, there will be a supply. Say, God is my source. So we're looking at this name, Almighty God, or El Shaddai in the Hebrew. It is the God who is more than enough, the one who has the supply, the all-powerful, the all-sufficient God. So he says to Abram, this is who I am. Here's what I want you to do. Walk before me, which means live before me, have a relationship with me. Then he says, be thou perfect. That word means to mature, to grow up, to stop doing things your own way. Spiritual immaturity is marked by independence. Spiritual immaturity is marked by independence. It's the exact opposite in the natural. Because if you have kids, you look forward to the day when they can make their own breakfast without making a mess. You are preparing them to one day leave your house and be a well-functioning adult where they don't have to depend on you for everything. But in spiritual things, we have to walk in dependence on God. The more you depend on him and seek his leadership and guidance in every area of your life speaks to the maturity you have in the things of God. If you're always doing things your own way, when you want to do them, how you want to do them, it means you're a spiritual baby. So he says, Abram, grow up. Because you will not tap into the supply of God who is your source doing things your own way. Although the supply will be there, if you do things your own way, you won't tap into the inexhaustible bounty and supply. You have to grow up and do things his way. So look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, grow up. Look at your other neighbor. Say, neighbor, stop being such a baby. (laughs) Go to Exodus chapter 2. We have to grow up if we want to continually tap into the supply God has for us. Because one of the things you see about the will of God is it's not automatic. How do I know that? The New Testament says God wills that all men be saved. That is the will of God. Now, will everybody be saved? No. People have free choice. People are free moral agents. Some will choose to be saved. Some will choose to go to hell. Even though it is the will of God who is love for every man to be saved and never go to a devil's hell. The will of God is not automatic. Yes, his grace is abundant, but you have a responsibility to that grace. So Exodus chapter 2. We know the story of the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt. Let's look at the end of chapter 2, verse 23. And it says, and it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by the reason of the bondage. And they cried. So this is not just tears crying. Because their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Go to chapter 3. 
We'll start with verse 8. God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. And look what he tells them. He says, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. God has no problem coming down to however far down you are in your situation. And to bring them up out of that land into a good land, into a large, into a land flowing with milk and honey. See, when you come to God, you are automatically accepted. Doesn't matter how messed up you are. Doesn't matter how many issues you have. Doesn't matter all the things going wrong in your life, all the bad things you do. When you come to Jesus, he won't turn you away. He will accept you. You are accepted in the beloved. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. So although you may be down in the mire, he will come to you and bring you up. See, your life is truly the story. You started from the bottom, but now you're here. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. God sees all the things people do to you. So you don't have to go, God, do you see this? He sees it quite well. Come now, therefore, and I will send you unto Pharaoh, that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So three things I want you to know as we lay the foundation for the series. There was a promise given to the children of Israel. In Genesis 15, the Almighty God had promised beforehand that he would bring them out of Egyptian bondage and he would bring them to the promised land, which is a place of abundance. So when they cried or when they prayed, they tapped in to the source. The promise was already there. But someone has to tap in to the source. This book is full of promises. But if you don't tap into the source, it's just a book full of promises. So there was a promise, number one. Number two, there was prayer. And number three, there was blood. Go to Exodus 12. There was a promise, there was prayer, and there was blood. Exodus 12, verse 21. Look at this third point. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is on in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. So before they were delivered... There was a promise, there was prayer that tacked into the supply, and there was blood. So there's a what? Promise. There was what? Prayer. And then there was blood. Go to chapter 14. We know the story. God delivers them wonderfully, brings them out of Egypt, judges Egypt and all of its gods, judges them for treating his people badly. Because he promised Abraham in Genesis 15 that when I bring them out, I'm going to bring them out with stuff. They can come out with gold. They can come out in silver. They will be rewarded and restored everything that was stolen from them. Everything the enemy took, I'm going to give it back to them plus some with some interest on it. Now I'm going to bring them out to the promised land. This is what Moses preached to the children of Israel. Hebrews 11 said, the word was preached unto them by faith. This is the message Moses kept saying. God's bringing you out of Egypt. He's taking you to the promised land. If you wanted to hear Moses preach on a Sunday, this is what he'd preach. God is bringing you out of Egypt. He is taking you to the promised land. God is bringing you out of Egypt. He is taking you to the promised land. God is bringing you out of Egypt. He is taking you to the promised land. That is what he said over and over and over. But chapter 14, verse 11 they get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is chasing after them. They're between a rock, a hard place, the Red Sea, and an army. And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore, have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Although Moses has been preaching every Sunday, Every time he got up, God is going to bring you out of Egypt, 
and he's going to take you to the promised land. What is the first thing they say when they get out of Egypt? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us? Couldn't we have just died in Egypt? Go to chapter 16. Because this wasn't a one-time occasion they said this. This was their confession. Chapter 16, verse 3, because you know you can have what you say. Whether it's positive or negative, you can have what you say. Record of verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The word murmur means they complained and came to a stop. So they just weren't walking along and griping and complaining. They started complaining and didn't go forward. If you are murmuring and complaining, you are not going forward. Verse 3, and the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Would to God God had killed us in Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the full, for we have br- he has brought us forth into this wilderness to kill us with hunger. God took us out of Egypt to kill us in the wilderness. This is what they're saying. Look at chapter 17, verse 3. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of the land of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? That's what they kept saying. God brought us out to kill us. God brought us out to kill us. God did this to us. God did this to me. This is what they kept saying. So every time they murmured, they came to a stop. Because if you're murmuring and you're complaining, you're not going forward. Pastor David said last night, there is no faith in complaining. Complaining says, I don't have enough faith for my situation to change. He says, there's no faith in complaining. Complaining says, I don't have enough faith for my situation to change. What was the number one thing Israel did not believe? They did not believe that God loved them. Israel did not believe that God loved them. How do I know that? They kept saying, God brought us out to kill us. God's going to kill us. God wants to kill us. That's not people who believe God loves them. Remember, faith works by love. One of the ways it works by love is believing that God loves you. So the Israelites did not believe that God loved them. They did not believe the word preached to them. As Hebrews says, they did not mix it with faith. They did not believe that God was going to bring them into the promised land. So go to Numbers 14. Still just laying my foundation. Numbers 14, start with verse 1. The Lord told Moses to send 12 spies into the wilderness to see that the land is exactly what he said. Two came back. And gave the good report. But 10 came back and says, yeah, the land is just like God said it would be, but. You got to get your but out the way. Because every time you say but, you negate everything you just said. I love you, but. Come on, spouses. You never want to hear your spouse say, I love you, but. They said, but there's giants in the land. The sons of a really strong giant is in their lands. And we are grasshoppers in our own sight, and we're grasshoppers in their sight. We be not able to take the land. God is not going to do what he said he's going to do because we can't do it. We can't figure it out. Chapter 14, verse 1, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night, the entire night. The whole nation is crying. And all the children of Israel murmured, there they go again, against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword? Why has God brought us here so that people can kill us? For that our wives and our children should be a prey. 
Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said unto one to another, let us make us another pastor, another captain, and let us return into Egypt. What they prayed to be delivered from, this problem looks too big, let us go back to being slaves. Go to verse 11. Because this is 10 different times the Bible says they tempted God. What did they do when they were tempting God and murmuring, complaining, refusing to go forward and telling God, you did this to kill us. You don't love us. You did this to kill us. You did this to kill us. They were separating themselves from their source. God did not cut them off. They cut themselves off through their unbelief. And notice what God said in verse 11. It's very interesting. I didn't see it this way too, I think, this morning. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? But that looked at the word provoke in the Hebrew there, it means to despise, to abhor. Because how long will these people despise me? How long will these people abhor me? How long will my children hate me? Remember, God's a father. And he's asking Moses this question, how long will they hate me? How long will they think so little of me? How long will they think I brought them out to kill them? So we always, we read the Bible that this happened, but think about it from God's perspective. He delivered them because he loved them, and now they're three weeks into the journey. It's not like it's been years. This is three weeks later from when they left Egypt. And they said, God did it to kill us. God doesn't love us. So God says, they hate me. Go to verse 28. So he tells Moses, saying unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. In other words, you can have what you say. You have separated yourself from the source. Everything you said is going to come to pass. So he tells them what they've been saying over the last few weeks. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that you that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which you said, should be a prey, them will I bring in. And they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms Woo. until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which you search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year shall you bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and you shall know my breach of promise. God promised them. They separated themselves from the source. And God said, fine, you can have it your way. You will know the revoking or the altering of my promise and my purpose. God wanted to bring them in. They refused to go in. So he says, you are going to die in the wilderness. That's where Psalm 90 comes from. That's 70, 80 years. That's not a blessing. He was like, oh, I'm going to live 70 or 80 years, and then I'll fly away. That's not a promise. That's a curse. So many times we're trying to live a cursed life. You're supposed to be shooting for 120. That's why I'm doing this living long, living strong this summer with our living epistles. Because even if you 60, 70, 80, 90, you're still getting started. I got work for y'all. Don't think, oh, but I'm going to retire. No, but it's time to refire. Titus 2 is about to kick into gear. So he says, you're going to know my breach of promise. You're going to walk around in this wilderness in a circle until you die. And your children who should be enjoying the, my goodness are going to be delayed. But I promise I'm going to give it to them. So why did this happen? They effectively disconnected themselves from their source. Go back to John 15. We spent a month there last month. 
But John 15, verse 5. Spent a month in the first 12 verses of chapter 15. But why did they die in the wilderness? We read that verse, but Jesus brings some clarity to it to John 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. God is not casting people away. People disconnect themselves from their source. It doesn't say they're not saved. It doesn't say God doesn't love them. But it does say they disconnected them from their source, and because they're not connected to the source, they will wither, and they will eventually die. doesn't mean they physically die. But their spiritual life is kaput. They are dry spiritually. Israel wandered around in the wilderness, dying in the wilderness because they disconnected themselves from their source. Go to Psalm 1. Say, stay connected. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, God is determined to bless you because he loves you. The only one who can stop God from blessing you is you. It's not the government. It's not the economy. It's not some group of people. It's not the 1%. It's not one keeping you down. The only one who can stop God from blessing you is you. Because you can disconnect yourself. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So this is a person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. So what is he doing? He's grown up and he's doing things God's way, so he's staying connected. And he's meditating, which means to say, to think, to mutter, and to roar the Word of God every day. He's in the Word every day. As we covered last month, the Word of God is what God uses to purge us, to prune us, so that we can improve and get better. So every day, every night, he's in the Word and God's improving him and helping him go forward. And what is that result? Verse 3 And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Planted. That brings forth his fruit in season. His leaf also shall not wither. Exact opposite of John 15. And whatsoever. Say whatsoever. He doeth shall prosper. Whatsoever the person who is connected does, will prosper. Because they are connected to their source. But if you disconnect from your source, you will wither. You will fade. You won't be able to do the things God wants you to do. Go to Leviticus 26. Stay planted. Stay connected and you will flourish. Pastor David talked about that last night. He says, a seed that removes itself every day and replants itself to another spot will never grow. And sometimes you won't grow, as we were talking about last night, because you don't like the environmental conditions that are around you. It's not comfortable. I want to do this. I want to go here. I want to follow my friends. I'm not talking about teenagers. Adults do the same thing. So stop getting mad at your kids for what you've been doing and showing them the last 20 years. Oh, I wonder where they get that from. You. Oh, my kids are crazy. 
Leviticus 26. Verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. Verse 5 and another version says, your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest. And your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting grain. You will eat your fill and live securely in your land. The rain causes such increase that there's no gap of productivity in lack. That it takes so long to gather all the things that God has prospered them because of the rain, that although harvest season is over, they're trying to post to store up stuff, they're still bringing it in. Why? They're connected to the source. God says, as long as you remain connected, I will send the rain. But when you disconnect yourself, rain is not coming. So think about Israel. God gave them the law to keep. The law came to show man that they needed a Savior. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. He gave us over 600 in there. Did Israel ever fully keep the law? Nope. Not even close. Sometimes they tried, sometimes they didn't. But in the law, there was things called the sin offering. That when you offered these sacrifices, when blood was shed, it would cover their mistakes. Didn't wipe it away, but it would cover it. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus completely taking away. They were being forgiven in advance for what Jesus would do. So when you would follow Israel through Judges, through 1st and 2nd Samuel, through 1st Kings, they would go through a cycle. They would follow God, then they'd do their own thing. They get into trouble. They call out to God. God would deliver them. Then they follow God. Then they do their own thing. It was a circle. Now, no one ever completely kept the law, but there were always sacrifices. So as long as there was sacrifice, as long as there was blood, even if they messed up, the blessing still flowed. Even if they did something horrible, as long as there was blood, they remain connected. They had something called every year a day of atonement, where the atoning sacrifice was offered, and it covered all the sins of the people, because blood was shed. Go to 1 John chapter 1. Because some of you think, I've done all these things. I've lived disconnected. I am withering. I'm not connected to my source. But I have some good news for you today. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, partnership, one with another. And we saw earlier in this chapter that the partnership, the fellowship is with God and with Jesus. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't say you're perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. But it says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, what's left? Righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You will never get more righteous than you are right now. 
As soon as you're born again, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is your standing. That's why no matter how bad you mess up, how big you blow it, you can come to God and confess your sins and he will forgive you because you have standing. You can't just walk up into every courtroom and say, Judge, I got something to say. They're going to send your tail out the room or into jail. Why? You don't have standing. At any moment, you can walk to the throne of God, even if you messed up horribly, and say, God, I blew it. Please forgive me. I receive your forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. Because you have standing. It's not some long, drawn-out process. If you mess up, be quick to repent. That takes less than 10 seconds. And get back on the right place. Why? There is blood. There was blood shed on Calvary. Because 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation means the atoning sacrifice. There was blood. So don't get in your mind, I've messed up, so I have to take all these years to fix it, and maybe God will take me back. Maybe he'll love me in a few years. Maybe he'll love me. Maybe he won't kill me. I'm telling you today, God is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. And he's done everything necessary for you to be blessed. You just have to stay connected. And when you mess up, when you disconnect, the blood. You have to have faith in the blood of Jesus. Yes, you can be sorry for what you did, but it doesn't mean you stay in sorrow. Yes, godly sorrow does lead to repentance, as Paul said, but God doesn't want you to be depressed because you messed up. How should you act? Go to Nehemiah chapter 8. After the book of Ezra can't find it, use your Bible app. If not, just look at me. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 8. So here's the background. The nation's coming back to God. They're realizing how they haven't lived rightly. So they read the book of the law, and they saw that they didn't do right, so they began to mourn, and they began to weep. But look what verse 9 says in Nehemiah chapter 8. This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. Some of us love that phrase. Yes, Jesus. Well, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Yes, your words are so powerful. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. Stop crying. Stop weeping because you messed up. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So stop spending time crying because you blew it. Stop spending time crying because you messed up and disconnected yourself from your source. Be quick to repent and begin to rejoice. Because as soon as you repent, as soon as you confess your sin and ask God for forgiveness, that's not the first time he found out about it. He already knew. But as soon as you do that, the blood of Jesus cleanses you so that you are as pure and as perfect and as spotless as Jesus himself. That's what the blood does. It makes you look just like Jesus in the eyes of God. Doesn't matter how bad you've messed up the blood. So you have reason to rejoice. You have reason to be joyful, to be hopeful and full of faith. People look at you, but don't you know what I did? Don't you know what you did? And as I told you last year, in those cases when Satan tries to remind you about your past, be a politician. Last year, all through the election, videos, audios, emails, and they're asking questions about it. And they say, I do not recall that. Here's the video. I do not recall. 
Here's the email. I do not recall. When Satan brings up your past, say, I do not recall. Don't recall it back because it's under the blood. God doesn't remember it, so you need to forget it. And if Satan keeps bringing it up, says, if you want to talk about my past, Mr. Devil, let me talk to you about your future. It's about to get real hot for you real quick. Stop dwelling on your past. It doesn't matter, and it doesn't exist. When Paul was saved, he went from Saul to Paul, he became the apostle of God. Jesus never brought up to him his sin, ever. Paul even said in his writings, I have wronged no man. What do you mean, Paul, you wronged no man? You killed Stephen. You threw people into jail. You were breaking into people's houses, dragging them to jail. You did all these things. What do you mean I have wronged no man? Remember, this is not some huge amount of years afterwards. There are people alive who Paul persecuted. God has a sense of humor. Paul was on staff at the church of Antioch. The church of Antioch was started by people who fled Paul's persecution. So when Paul comes as a guest speaker, people are like, isn't that dude that threw mama in jail? But that was the fastest growing church in that area. Why? The past doesn't matter. All that matters is the blood and you staying connected. Because if you're connected, nothing can stop you. It's like, well, I messed up. I have a record. People won't hire me. You're connected and you got the blessing. The blessing can overrule everything. The blessing is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. It is the most powerful because it is the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the same blessing that was on Adam, that went to Noah, that went to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Solomon. Then Jesus, Galatians 3 says, Jesus became a curse so that the blessing of Abraham may come upon those who believe. That blessing is yours if you stay connected. Because if you disconnect yourself, you won't receive it. Not because God doesn't want to bless you. He's determined to bless you. That's why he's always looking for opportunities. That's when you mess up and you go away from God. It seems that everywhere you go, there's something pointing you back. You drive by a church and you remember a message. You try not to pay attention. You go online, someone's sharing a scripture that you need to hear. You Googling for anything else but, but a video pops up, someone preaching the message you need to hear. What's happened? God is using all these things to get you back connected. Why? He loves you. God loves you. But sadly, so many Christians don't believe that. They have mental assent, mental knowledge, but when it comes down to it, they really don't believe God loves them. That's why we were preaching last week, get at home in the Father's love. Get comfortable in his love for you. Because John 17 tells us he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. So it doesn't matter what you need today. Find the promise. Tap in to the supply. Plead the blood. And expect it to manifest. Because that's who he is. Because he loves you. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Say, God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Now you got to think, I can't keep all those commands. I can't keep all the law. Isn't that under grace? You're given one law under grace. It's the law of love. What is the law of love? We went over it last week. Yes, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as I love you. But also, believing the love of God is part of the commandment. You have to believe God loves you. You stay connected by living and walking in love.
Because if you walk in love, you're not going to kill people. The word kill actually means murder. You're not going to steal from people. You're not going to cover what other people got. You're not going to do those things because you love people. And so if you just focus on walking in love, which is also walking in forgiveness, you will remain connected. You will remain in the flow of the blessing. So when you pray this week, I don't want you to focus on praying that if I use the right formula, I'll get the right results because I said the formula. Yes, use scriptures. Yes, pray the book. Yes, stand on promises. But don't think it's your faith that gets all the job done. Faith is the highway which God uses to bless you. But the reason God will deliver you is because he loves you. The reason God will heal you is because he loves you. The reason God will provide for you is because he loves you. The reason why God will give you wisdom is because he loves you. So when you come to God this week, come believing that he loves you. That he's happy to see you. I came home from our meeting last night. I opened the door. My daughter ran to me to jump in my arms. Face all full of smiles and joy. That's how God wants you to be when he comes to him. Not coming, oh, I messed up. Oh, I don't know if you love me. Running, yes, I messed up. Please forgive me. I received the blood. Help me. How's your day going, God? And God said, what do you want? Notice I said, not what do you need. He said, we'll look at the scripture in a moment, I will supply all your need according to riches and glory. What do you want? We have to grow in our belief of God's love and not being paycheck to paycheck and just believing God for our needs to be met every month. What do you want? God does not give you things to meet your need. He said in 1 Timothy 6, God gives us things richly to enjoy. He is your shepherd, you shall not lack. He gives you the desires of your heart. But the only way you will experience that is if you remain connected. Stay connected to the love of God. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah to Jesus. Go ahead and lift your hands and thank him for his love. Go ahead and lift your hands and thank him for his love. Father, we thank you that you love us. Oh, we're so grateful for your love. We're so thankful for your love. Oh, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. You showed your love by sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for shedding your blood. We thank you for dying. We thank you for going to hell in our place and being raised from the dead and ascending to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us. Thank you for sending to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of love, who lives within us, rests upon us, and dwells among us. Thank you for giving us this word of love. You've done all these things because you love us. Every head bow, every eye closed in prayer. No one moving or walking. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.